6, verses 9 through 10, and this week the focus will be verse 10. <clears throat> After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. About a decade ago, I had a friend of mine who came up to New York City from the South, and he was a good-natured guy who left everything he was familiar with in the country to move up to the chaos of the city. He had come to help another buddy of mine plant a church in the city. And at the time I spoke with him, he was full of optimism and idealism. He told me that prior to moving to New York, he had sold his house and resigned from a really good, steady job. And when I asked why, he said, because he was absolutely certain it was God's will for his life, and because he wanted to grow deep roots in New York City. I remember leaving the conversation with a profound impression of perhaps a certain level of respect for the man, both for his guts and for appearing to know the will of God. And you could imagine my surprise, therefore, when less than one short year later, I discovered that the man had abandoned New York City and had permanently returned back to his home in the South. You know, I I think I, I believe I speak for all of us here this morning when I say that at times, God's will is incredibly difficult to discover. Even with a robust, prayer-filled relationship with God, we can sometimes miss the mark. And when it comes to knowing the will of God, we can be shaken when we miss the mark. When talking about the will of God, and I don't want to get too technical here, but I do feel as if this is important. When talking about the will of God, theologians usually make a difference a distinction, if you will, between God's revealed will in Scripture and His secret will that is revealed over time in history. God's revealed will is easy, and it is as easy as reading the Bible. Commands such as, love your neighbor, do not steal, share the gospel with the world, are all part of God's clear revealed will. It's also known as God's will of command. However, questions such as, will I ever get married? When will I die? Which career field should I enter into? Are all part of God's secret will. These types of questions are not directly answered in the Bible, But God does generally reveal the answers through prayer and, of course, the passage of time. And in verse 10 of today's passage, when Jesus directs us to pray for God's will to be done on earth, the question can easily become, which will is he referring to? When we pray, God, your will be done, which will are we petitioning God for? God's secret will or His revealed will? But more on that in a few minutes. This morning, we're going to 
continue our study of the world's most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And seeing that Christ instructed us to model our prayers after the Lord's Prayer, this prayer, therefore, is worthy of careful study. For anyone who wants to have a deeper prayer life, the Lord's Prayer serves as an optimal template because here's the point. God, I don't believe God wants us to literally repeat this prayer verbatim. The Lord's Prayer, and I know some of us do, we, some of us come from homes, and my home as well, we recite the Lord's Prayer daily. But I don't believe that's what Christ commands us to do. And the reason for that is in verse 9, Jesus says, pray in this manner. Pray in this manner, which means we are to use the prayer as a guide. The substance and structure of this prayer are far more important than mere recitation. In fact, our Lord commanded us not to pray prayers that are mindless and repetitive. For those of you who've been raised in a home where the Lord's Prayer was recited every day as a family, you know what I'm talking about. Certain days, you go through the prayer without even thinking about what the prayer means. And and our Lord told us not to pray those types of prayers. Instead, we are to pray with our minds, our hearts, and emotions all engaged as we connect with God. So as we continue the Lord's Prayer this week, and as we study the format and the template, we come now to a very perplexing petition the request for God's will to be done. What does that even mean? What does it look like? Well, now, the Lord's Prayer has a total of six petitions or requests. And last week, we studied petition number one, which was for the hallowing of God's great name. And that first petition sets the groundwork for all other petitions Not only in the Lord's Prayer, but in our daily personal prayer lives. Whatever prayer you have, that prayer stems from, or at least ought to stem from, the hallowing of God's name. In the military, we often talk about meeting the commander's intent. Well, as you pray each day, ask yourself this question. Does your prayer request meet God's primary objective of hallowing his name. I think many times some of us might be surprised to discover that our prayer lives are simply one to make our own lives more comfortable. But as we mature as, as Christians, we discover and we begin realizing that we ought to be primarily concerned about God's kingdom advancing, about God's will being done, and about God's name being glorified. At the heart of a maturing prayer life ought to be the cry of verse 10. Lord God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we grow in the faith, more and more this ought to be centralized in our lives. Let's take a look at petition number two. Thy kingdom come. Now before we pray for something, we ought to know what we're praying for. What does it mean to ask God for His kingdom to come? Well, God's kingdom advances in two primary ways. 
Number one, it advances whenever a person is born again. Again, it advances whenever a person is born again. And number two, God's kingdom is advanced through the advance of the global church, capital C Church, which is comprised of many small, local, lowercase c churches. So two things. First, the personal heart, and second, the global church. When we gather together and we pray, God, your kingdom come, we are primarily praying for those two things. So let's start with the first. God's kingdom comes whenever a person is born again. And where do I get that from? Turn with me to John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Comes from the very mouth of Jesus. This is a necessary reminder because we live presently in an age that says that all roads lead to God. That every religion, despite what it is, is simply a, diff- a different manifestation, if you will, of the same God. But Jesus says otherwise. In John 3, he says, don't let anyone fool you. No one is coming to heaven, going to heaven, unless he or she is first born again. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Some of you have prepared very well for your retirement. You figured out where every last penny goes. But here's the age-old question. If you were to die tonight, would you go and spend eternity in heaven or in hell? That is an important question. And Jesus told Nicodemus, there's only one way to enter the kingdom of God, and that is to be born again. Are you born again? Eternity is infinitely longer than retirement. If there's something you ought to be more careful about than retirement planning, it ought to be your salvation. You cannot afford to make a mistake about this one. So what does it mean to be born again? In certain circles, it's almost seen as a pejorative. But these are words used by Jesus. Jesus said, you must be born again. So what does that mean? Well, a person is born again the moment he or she believes in the gospel. And what is the gospel? Four essential points. Number one, there is a holy God who loves you. But this God of justice and holiness must send all sinners to hell, as a good judge must. Second, all of us are sinners. We're born that way. And we're not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners. It is by nature who we are. And that is bad news. Because if we look at the Ten Commandments, we've broken all of them. And we realize we deserve nothing but punishment from a God who loves us, but there is a major chasm in between uh, God and us, and that is known as sin. Sin separates us from God, and the penalty for sin is hell. 
But the good news is that God loved the world so much, he sent his only son, Jesus, who was fully God and fully man. He died on the cross in your place and paid for your sins on the cross. And on the third day, he historically resurrected from the grave. This is not a myth. If it was, we would, we would be wasting our time this morning. But here's the last point. You must personally repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as your Lord, God, and Savior. It, it requires a personal response. doesn't matter if you were raised in the church, you must personally believe in Christ. But the moment that you do, you are born again. And at that moment, you become a Christian. The kingdom of God has come unto you. So when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, the primary way his kingdom comes in the lives of individuals is through rebirth. Let's get that clear. God, your kingdom come in the lives of my unbelieving relatives. When we pray that, we are in line with the will of God. The second way we advance God's kingdom is through the advance of the church. Here's what it says in Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now Satan knows this and he hates it. And this is why in hostile nations, when persecutions begin, the church is the first place that's bombed or targeted. What you and I are doing this morning by gathering together to worship God is incredibly, it is as incredibly precious as it is privileged. It is also powerful. Hebrews 10.25 commands us not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves as we're doing here today. So to the best of your ability, try not to miss this. Try not to miss this. This gathering is far more important than NFL football, extra cash, soccer practice, or should I even dare say family time. This is the worship of God. And Christians for 2,000 years have known this, and even under the threat of intense persecution, have assembled each Sunday to worship the risen Lord even when government was on the lookout to persecute them to see if they would gather on the Lord's Day, they would still meet, even if needed in secret. This is how pivotal this is. So when you and I pray, God, your kingdom come, think about what you're saying. A kingdom implies a king. It's a monarchy. And indeed, until he returns, we are praying for the reign of Jesus to be instated. We are asking God to right all the wrongs in this present world, and we are praying for the growth of His bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, Satan will continue to persecute the bride, but Jesus has said that the gates of hell will not prevail against His church. Amen? Think about that. For all of you who do pray the Lord's Prayer every day, think about that tomorrow when you pray the Lord's Prayer. The word for church in the Greek is ekklesia, and it means it simply means an assembly, a gathering. And in the Christian context, it means an assembly of Christians gathered together for the purpose of worship. 
Hence, church is not a building. I know we often say that. We go to church thinking we're going to a building. But in the New Testament, the church is not a building. Rather, the people are the church. You and I are the church. And this morning, His kingdom, to some degree, is already here as we are assembled together for the worship of God. When we pray, Your kingdom come, this to some degree, is it. And now, let's move on to the third petition. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Earlier, I spoke about God's secret will and His revealed will. And I believe this is a prayer for both to be accomplished. Remember I asked, which one is it? When we pray the Lord's Prayer, are we asking for His secret will or His revealed will? I pray, I believe that it is for both. It is for both. I want to say a couple of things about this. As much as we pray for healing, this might be tough for you to hear, as much as we pray for healing, Sometimes it is not God's will that a terminal disease is healed. I know there are preachers who preach otherwise, but I believe with all my heart that Scripture teaches us this principle. In fact, the Lord's Prayer shows that praying for God's will to be done is not a cop-out. Sometimes the prayer goes like this. God, heal grandma. Heal her, please. And we're praying, God, please heal the cancer. But your will be done. Now for some of us, when we add that at the end, it feels like a cop-out. But it's not. I think the greatest example of this was demonstrated by Jesus. Do you remember, you remember the scene? He's at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's acutely aware of the fact that he's about to be grotesquely crucified. And in the midst of intense prayer, he requests that if possible, the crucifixion not occur. Remember, he asks, Lord, make this cup pass. Yet no matter how ardent his request, he ends it by saying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Rather than it being a cop-out, I think it is a measure of tremendous courage and faith to be able to pray like that. God, heal her of her cancer but your will be done. You see, in heaven, God's will is perfectly obeyed. Our prayer essentially is for a taste of heaven on earth. That's what we're asking for, are we not? God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us a taste of heaven here. We trust in the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, and the complete authority of God. And so, therefore, we pray for His will to be done on earth. Why? Because as Christians, we believe that His will is always the best will. 
And ultimately, as the opening line of the Lord's Prayer stated, we know that our God is a good heavenly Father. Remember that, that first sermon? Our Father who art in heaven. And we can pray, Lord, your will be done because we know that he loves us as a father does. Remember that. Now I want to give you three practical ways that we can take part in God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. When you leave here today, you've heard a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, you might be asking yourself, how can I practically institute what I've learned Well, number one, three ways we can take part in God's will. When we are mindful of our own sanctification, when we are mindful of our own sanctification. God's will is done on earth as believers seek to obey God's commands to greater degrees. God's will is done on earth as believers seek to obey God's commands to greater degrees. I was uh, looking through social media. I love what Rob Harvell, our new deputy chief of chaplain, said. And I was very surprised that he would write this. He's, He's employed by government, but he wrote this. He said, it doesn't matter if government says it's legal. If God calls a sin, then it is still sin, and sin will destroy your life. When we pray for God's will to be done... We are simultaneously recognizing and submitting to the authority of Almighty God as the highest authority in life. So maybe once you may have been an adulterer, a thief, a swindler, or a practicing homosexual. But when you were born again, you abandoned those sins and turned to the Lordship of Christ. You're not perfect. None of us are. But you're forgiven. And you're constantly seeking to bring your life underneath and into greater conformity to the will of God. Furthermore, you begin bearing fruit of the Spirit. I will say that a bitter, grumpy Christian is an oxymoron. Christians ought to be the happiest people on earth. Bear the fruit of the Spirit. How can you partake in the will of God? Love, joy, peace, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. These are ways we begin to partake in the will of God in our lives. Sometimes I think we're we're so caught up in looking for the will of God that some of the clear, explicit teachings of God's will that He gives to us in Scripture are completely ignored. Let's begin with those. Second way we can partake in the will of God. By being mindful of God's heart. There are an estimated 153 million children around the world who are orphans. 153 million orphans. I I can't even really wrap my mind around that number. That's a lot. What about this? 2.1 billion people in the world today lack safe drinking water at home. 
And four billion lack safe sanitation. And according to one source, nearly two million children a year, children, die for the lack of clean water and proper sanitation. When we pray, God, your will be done, we are praying, God, use our hands and our feet to represent Christ to the world. To the capacity that I am able to, O God, with my finances, my intellect, and my health, and my opportunities, Lord, use me to alleviate some of this mess. God, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. Bring a taste of heaven for some of these people as we know we will all experience one day in eternity. Very practical ramifications. This is not an abstract prayer. God, your will be done has realistic ramifications on earth. It's going to cost you. It will require sacrifice, but boy, will it be worth it. And third, we partake in the will of God as we consistently burn with a heart for evangelism and discipleship. Your kingdom come, your will be done are primarily petitions for people to be saved and to walk in the light of Scripture. And this is so pivotal because I think the longer we are in the church, sometimes we are the most in danger of losing sight of the mission. In the Air Force, we talk so much about the mission. Christ is our King and we have a mission. So for the billions of people in the world, the 1.9 billion people in the world who have yet to even hear the name of Jesus and experience the love of Christ that we all know, I implore you to be on mission and to continue to pray for God's will to be done on earth. Because as you pray that prayer, you cannot help but be the very oracle of God yourself. The mouthpiece that proclaims the gospel to a lost world. That's how God's will is done. He uses people like you and I. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, God, for today's word. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those are powerful words, and sometimes it helps to pause and think about what we're asking for when we say words like those. And so having heard a message this morning that has articulated the meaning behind those words. God, as I prayed in the beginning, let us not simply be hearers, but doers. You have given us vast resources. Lord, may we use it for your kingdom advance. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to now...